Hebrews chapter 6 to verse 7, I draw your attention. For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it, and bringeth forth herbs meet for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. But, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. The two grounds is our subject tonight. Here we have what we could call an illustrative parable that the Apostle brings in at this juncture. It reminds us, of course, of our Lord Jesus Christ because he often spoke in parables in his teaching. And the Apostle Paul is following him in that regard. And this parable is a bit like the parable of the sower that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to us. But on that occasion, there were four grounds into which the seed of the word fell. So the resemblance with the Lord's parable is very slight. There are only two grounds here. There is the ground that bringeth forth herbs, verse 7, and then there is the ground which bears thorns and briars, Verse 8, the ground which is blessed receiveth blessing from God, verse 7, and the ground which is cursed nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned, verse 8. The first ground is the church, and the other ground is the world. Now there are some who take the view that both grounds are in the church, that it's a bit like the wheat and the tares, where both are growing together until the end, growing together in the church, and then at the end there is a great separation that takes place, and the time whenever the tares then are separated and removed and gathered into bundles and burned. I don't have a problem taking it that way. But that's not the way that we're taking it tonight. It more or less amounts to the same thing anyway. There is the ground that has eternal blessing and the ground that has eternal cursing. The church, the true church, the saved and all the unregenerate, the other ground. The Bible very often uses this distinction between the saved and the unsaved there is the wheat but there is also the chaff and then the Bible talks about the sheep and the goats at the end of the day there are only two kinds the righteous and the unrighteous the saved and the lost those that go to heaven and those that go to hell as the Lord taught in the parable the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net he cast into the sea. He gathered in of every kind, all the very numerous kinds. But really at the end of the day, there's just the two kinds, the clean, that were gathered into vessels 
and the unclean which are cast away and they're cast into the furnace of fire there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth and so we have both those two kinds here in this parable and we ought to look at both the grounds tonight and we'll start with the second ground with the thorn and briar bearing ground described for us in the verse 8 but that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh near unto cursing whose end is to be burned so let's think about this ground the cursed ground what are we told about it well we're really told very little we're not told anything about what's done on it what work is taking place with it nothing at all now some think that the rain that has come on the good ground gets into this ground too some think it has the same dressers as well as the good ground but I don't think so it's not said it's not stated I'm not to think that no the ground doesn't appear to be dressed and cultivated at all all that we are told concerning it is what it brings forth it's the cursed ground the ground without grace the ground without heaven's touch the ground without heavenly blessing and heavenly influence the ground without the holy spirit the ground just left to itself that's all that's implied in this verse outside the divine gardener's grace ground that has no partaking of the holy spirit ground that does not taste of the heavenly gift ground that knows nothing of the powers of the age to come ground in darkness ground never enlightened ground Christless ground graceless spiritless ground ground left to itself and all sinners left to themselves just bring forth thorns and briars that's all and we're only told of two things then about it and that's the first it bringeth forth thorns and briars and then we're told that it's in a grave and dangerous situation because it's rejected and is nigh unto cursing and is to be burned that's all we're told now the ground here pictures the hearts and lives of men without salvation without God's grace it pictures the unregenerate it pictures those who were never enlightened sinners bring forth thorns and briars that's how God sees it their life is productive of that their produce is contrary to the fruit of the spirit and to the graces of the Holy Ghost no fruitfulness here 
No herbs for the benefit of men here. Thorns and briars. Useless to men. They don't help men. They don't aid men. They don't further the benefit of the human race at all. Just bringing forth thorns and briars. The only produce is the product of the fall. Man, since the fall, only sins in God's sight. Man easily sins, just as the ground, the uncultivated ground, easily brings forth thorns and briars. You don't have to cultivate thorns and briars. You don't have to feed thorns and briars. You don't have to work with thorns and briars. You just leave the ground. It just easily and naturally comes forth. Men easily sin. They naturally sin. Just left to themselves from the moment they're born, they go astray from the womb, from birth, speaking lies, bringing forth the thorns and briars as as naturally and easily as that. It's only grace changes it. And so it doesn't require work to bring forth thorns and briars. The work has all been done in, in the fall by Satan. And it's all wild now, and the human race is wild. And thorns and briars are natural to the wilderness, and sins are natural to sinners. You don't have to teach sinners to sin. You don't have to put them in bad company to train them to sin. They go astray from birth. Just leave a sinner to his own devices and he will sin. But it's not just that thorns and briars are useless and unproductive. Thorns and briars are harmful. That's the thing. It's, they're, they're, they're the opposite of benefit to the human race. They harm the human race. They hurt. They cut they create infection and diseases. Whenever they break into the flesh, they prick and cut and destroy and hurt and harm. And sin is harmful. And the sins that men and women produce are harmful. Sin hurts sinners. Sin hurts the sinner himself who sins. But the sinner also hurts others. What does the Bible call our lusts? Hurtful lusts. You know the state legalizes for sinful lusts and allows for it. But it should not because they are hurtful of humanity. The carrying out of lusts Hurtful lusts. The apostle says we were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That's thorns and briars. That's how sinners are. They, they hate one another. They're malicious. They look after, number one, themselves. And people are hurt every day in the office and in the workplace. 
or in the play park or whatever. The breaking of God's commandments are thorns and briars. Killing is a thorn and briar. Adultery is a thorn and briar. Stealing is a thorn and briar. Lying is a thorn and briar. Coveting all our thorns and briars. Destructive, self-destructive of the human race. Sin destroys, sin deadens, sin hurts, sin hinders, sin harms. Sin damns souls and deadens men. And of course thorns are plentiful, aren't they? Whenever they come forth. A whole bramble bush full of thorns. That's what a, a sinner's life is. Just a bramble bush. A, a large briar. All thorns, little flowers. Always the thorns are more numerous than any flowers that may appear. Iniquities are innumerable. As David said, they're more than the hairs on my head. And so such places, briars and thorns, in the natural world, they are places of refuge for serpents for snakes, for vapors. And Satan, he delights in briars and thorns. And the more wicked a human life is, the more attractive it is to Satan. And the more Satan is influential in that life. And the more Satan crawls into that life, that briar, bramble life, he crawls into that life so that he can identify it and be part of it. And use it. And so the serpent delights in sinners. And sinners attract him and draw him. And the more sinful they are, the more they draw him. And the more they delight him. And Satan beholds men. The more thorns he sees in them, the better they are to him. And such people are the friends of Satan. And the enemies of Christ, whose brow was hurt with thorns and briars on the cross. Think of what the thorns and briars did to Christ. How they bruised him and bled him. How they were on the scourge that scourged him. How his back was hurt with the thorny parts of the tree. And so men who love their thorns and briars and their sins ought to reflect on this. And those who will not leave their sin nor repent of their sin or turn from their sin and cast off these works of darkness, they should consider these things, what their sins are in the sight of God. And then secondly about this ground, these thorns and briars, those who will not seek Christ and desire God's grace, they must be told of their danger. Because what does the text say? They are to be rejected. 
and they're nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. A threefold description there of their end. How awful and how terrible it is. And sinners without Christ need to take this on board. They are to be rejected. Rejected by God. Rejected by heaven. The gates of heaven are closed to such that not that defileth shall ever enter in. Heaven rejects them. Heaven keeps them out as we keep the thorns and briars out of our gardens. Sinners with their vile unrepented thorns and briars will be rejected from, from God's presence. You know, they think they will make heaven in the end. They think that God at the last will be merciful to them, though all they have ever been is a briar-bearing sinner. They think that God will accept them and that they will belong to him at the end. They say that all are his children, all are the children of God. They believe that, and Satan even tells them that with all their thorn-bearing briars. He tells them they are still the children of God, but they are not. By their fruits you know them, their thorns and briars. And God says, he that is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is unrighteous, let him be unrighteous still. There's no change at the end. They are rejected. Rejected by God. It's an awful thing to be rejected by God. Depart from me. Go forth away from me. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. But I will say, I never knew you. Depart. Reject it. Depart from me, you thorns and briars, you that work iniquity. And then they're near unto cursing. They're not there yet, but they're fast heading there now. In this world, they still have opportunity, still time to repent. But they're so near, very near unto cursing. And sinners will hear the curse of God. You know, cursing is an awful thing among men. But when God curses, it is most terrifying. And men are near to the curse of God. The opposite of the blessing of God. Come, you blessed of the Lord. Come, inherit. But you, depart. Cursed. You're cursed. And all that is opposite of blessing, the cursed experience. And it's the most terrible thing, this announcement. And it speaks of a judgment day when it shall be announced. Nigh unto the judgment day. Nigh unto the cursing. We must all appear before the judgment seat of, of Christ. To be cursed is to be forever without blessing. If blessing is peace, curses no peace. It's terror. It's endless disturbance. It's unbroken restlessness. It's pain. 
pain without ease, pain without hope of deliverance, the opposite of all the tranquility that God will bring to the blessed, the loss of it all is terrifying. And the word that the Bible uses to describe it is hell. It's hell. It's an awful state. It's a terrifying condition. No relief, no light, no water, no food, the absent of all blessing. But then let's think about the the good ground here. Verse 7, The earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it, and bringeth forth herbs, meat for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. The fruitful ground is altogether different. Different as night as day. You can't be mistaken which ground you're in. The fruitful ground has certain things. And this ground pictures those who are saved. Those that Paul describes as having the things that accompany salvation. Doesn't he say that in verse 9? He goes on to describe the thorny ground in verse 8. But then he says, but beloved, we don't think you're that ground. We are persuaded better things concerning you. The things which accompany salvation. So he is assuming that they belong to the good ground and not the cursed ground. The things that accompany salvation belong to this ground. How is a good ground identified then? What is different about it? What is different about believers? What do they have in their life? Rain. The blessed rain. The rain that cometh from heaven. The rain that cometh from above. The cleansing, the purifying, the satisfying, the enlivening, life-bringing, life-changing, life-enhancing rain. They have rain from above. They have the grace of heaven. They have the grace of God. There cometh down rain upon it. All that is necessary to fruitfulness, all that is necessary to the, the production of grace, all that is necessary to receiving the blessing from God, they have it from heaven. This is God's grace. He shall come down like showers upon the mowing ground. This is Christ and his grace coming down into his church, coming down onto those people that he redeems by his blood. Saints have grace. Saints have the means of grace. And saints partake of the means of grace. You see, they have the outward means coming down. And especially the word of God. The word of God is like rain. We have the Bible. 
We have the scriptures, the showers of the word of God. In the Bible, the Lord compares his word to the rain. For example, Deuteronomy 32, verse 2, My doctrine shall drop as the rain. My speech, my words, shall distill as the dew, the moisture upon the dry human heart, the moisture upon the hard ground that softens it in grace is the moisture of the word of God. The doctrine of the Lord coming down upon the soul of man, born again through the word of God. We read in Isaiah, As the rain cometh down, and watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give the produce, the seed to the sower, and the bread to the eater, to the hungry. As that rain comes down doing that, so shall my word come down. Come down into your soul. Come down out of my mouth. It goeth out of my mouth and as the rain doesn't return again to the heaven but does all of that in the ground so my word that drops down out of my mouth it doesn't return to me void but it accomplishes that which I purpose in my church and it regenerates and it converts and it makes this ground to be blessed and to be good. So the word of God is, is that. And very often the, the preaching of the word is, is called dropping the word. The Lord's table also we have as a means of grace as we come to it tonight. And what an oasis it is to our souls. How it distills into our hearts. And brings to us the blessing of God and the growth and grace. It's like a cloud of blessing that accompanied the children of Israel. Because remember, they didn't only have the fire at night, they had the cloud at the day. It wasn't a dry, dehydrated cloud. It was a cloud of dew, a cloud of blessing, a cloud that left the manna in the morning. So that they picked it up with the dew. The manna that brought them life from the cloud. And the Lord gives us the cloud of blessing. And the table of the Lord Jesus is like that. Which is why it's called a table. To feed us. To preserve us in the grace of God. These are outward means. But of course... They have to be accompanied with the inward means, with the Holy Spirit. Otherwise they are ineffectual and powerless. And so there is the inward work of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is like the water and the dew. And he makes the word to be full of moisture to our souls. Otherwise it would just be a dry and dead letter like any other book. But because the Holy Spirit accompanies it, it is quick and powerful and a living book and imparts life to us. 
the Holy Spirit, I will be as the Jew unto Israel. It has to be accompanied by a living person. I'll be as the Jew unto Israel. The rain, the rain must have the presence of a living being and that living being is the Holy Spirit. And we must pray more for the Holy Spirit. He shall come down like rain upon the mown grass as showers that water the earth. And you notice that it has this rain. How is it described? Cometh often. Not once in a while. What good is that? We have to have him coming often. Every week to our meetings. Every day in the word of God as we turn to it. Coming often. In season and out of season. In the bad times as well as the good times. In the dark times as well as the late times. Coming often. There's nothing that beats the regular coming often of the word of God. The regular meetings. We can't be without the regular. Without the frequent. Without the repetitive. Without the coming often upon it. And we should pray Lord come often in your word. Come often in the means of grace. Come all the time in the preaching. Fill your preacher with your Holy Spirit. Cometh often. And then it's not only coming, but it's desired. Because this earth drinketh. Drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it. The people of God have thirst for the word. They have an appetite for the word. They're crying out for the word. They're like the dry ground that is cracking and opening up and calling unto the Lord to to water them and to send them the showers of blessing. The people of God desire the means of grace. And they drink it. And as often as they come, as often as that they drink it, they drink it in. Do you drink in the word? Do you love the means of grace? Is it that you cannot do without them? That you cannot miss them? Oh, drink it in, child of God, the word of God. Drink. Drink abundantly and be satisfied. So so this makes it all different from the thorny ground. And you'll notice also there are dressers here. For what does it say? Bringeth forth herbs, meat for them, by whom it is dressed. Oh, this ground has dressers. This ground has people working in it. This ground has cultivators and farmers and laborers and husbandmen dressing it, praying over it. Praying for the water upon it. Digging and hooking and fertilizing and laboring abundantly upon it. And God doesn't leave his church without laborers. Laborers into his harvest field. Dressers to dress the ground. And of course the great dresser himself is Jesus Christ. The great shepherd of the sheep. The divine Husbandman who tends the ground, the one shepherd over us who feeds us, who cultivates us, who weeds us, 
who bears patiently with us until at last we are the ground that he accepts into the very glory itself. The Lord Jesus Christ is the chief dresser. You remember when he rose from the dead, Mary thought he was the gardener. She wasn't wrong, you know. He is the gardener, the cultivator of his church, the one who works with us in his endless grace. And work on, thou dear Saviour, in us and among us and with us and bear patiently with us so that we may bring forth fruit unto your glory. But not only the divine dresser, you will notice that them by whom it is dressed. So it's not the Lord alone, but he has fellow labourers. He has co-workers. He has under-shepherds. He has husbandmen in his vineyard, labourers in his ground, preachers who preach, teachers who teach, Remember how Paul said, I have planted, Apollos watered. Apollos was identified with the watering. And I am identified, Paul says, with the planting. It's God, the divine dresser, that gives all of the increase in the rain from heaven. But we do our bit. And God doesn't leave you without preachers and teachers. That you may be this fruitful ground. God gives the increase. We're not anything, because Paul went on to say, So then he that planteth is not anything, neither he that watereth. What is Paul? What is Apollos? It's only God that gives the increase. And so we all labor as one. And we'll receive our reward according to our labor. But it's God that makes this ground to be fruitful. Preachers, as I said, they, when they preach, Their word is like dropping the word. You'll find this in scripture sometimes. For example, in Ezekiel, you find it on a couple of occasions, and some of the other minor prophets. Son of man, set thy face toward Jerusalem and drop thy word. That's the verb, drop. The preacher's to drop his word. And and that's a verb, word that's used concerning the rain. The rain drops. The rain, don't we say, well, the rain drops are heavy today? Well, that's where it should be for a preacher. You should feel the raindrops when the preacher preaches a word over you and it's, it's dropping down. He's, he's dropping down the word upon you and one drop may be different on another person than on another person, different drops, but it's all coming from the same word and you're getting the drop that you need just that your soul needs. Oh, pray, pray that I'll get the drops that I need today in your house Help the preacher tonight, Lord, to drop the right word over me, to drop the right word in my soul. So, son of man, set your mouth, set your mouth toward the face of Jerusalem and drop the word over the holy places and prophesy. And that's what the prophets had to do. They had to go and they had to preach in the open air and they had to drop the word over all those places. That was the only hope for Israel. 
That's the only hope for the church. Preachers have dropped the word over them. That's what we need. And of course this brings forth beneficial fruit, doesn't it? Because Paul there says, God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed towards his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. Uh, their good works, their herbs, for the benefit of the dressers. Oh, the dressers are just so pleased to see fruit and benefit in the life of the people of God. To see that they are the Lord's people and truly they are productive of his fruit. And so this leads to blessing, doesn't it? Because that's the last thing. The most climactic thing of all. It brings forth these herbs, but it receiveth blessing from God. And that's at the end. Well done. Come in and inherit the blessing of God. Come, you blessed for all eternity, come. Just like the cursed, depart. Cursed for all eternity, they receive the curse of God. But this good ground, it comes into the new cosmos and the new earth and it fills the new creation. It fills the whole new creation in the blessing of God forever and ever. That's why it's important to be in union to Jesus Christ and to be a member of his body, a true member of the church, his body, in union with him, partaking of his spirit, partaking of the word and of the means of grace in the church, as his people. Oh, may you all be the true people of God. We are persuaded these things concerning you, as Paul is. May the Lord bless the word to your heart. Let us pray.